Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. The Appalachians are not that way for me. Like, I always want to go back. I always try to make that yearly trip out there and dive deep into the landscape and what I can find. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia Meets World, it is Will. And Neil, what's up, man? I feel the excitement in your voice. Yeah, we're back, back another almost, week. Almost springtime. You're feeling the sunshine. No snow out there. Sun's out. Will's ready to go. After last week's episode, it kind of blew my mind. How many NFTs you bought this week? <laughs> I got my I got my crypto wallet full. <clears throat> I created a few. <laughs> Watch out. Had some interesting views this week, so I decided to just start creating NFTs. Drove through the mountains of, of Appalachia, through over in uh, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area. Beautiful sites, so I really want to get out and just take some capture some moments on my phone with the great smoky mountains you know you know they are the number one visited park in all of the land are you serious it's impressive right more than yellowstone more than i was getting ready to say there's no way more people go to the smokies than yellowstone yeah Yeah. it's number one wow that's how great appalachia is man oh i agree totally i mean if i was picking that's where i would go wouldn't you definitely oh yeah there's nothing I've been Nothing there. beats Central Appalachia Mountains. No way. I've been to those others. I always, I always keep going back, keep coming back. But one thing I wanted to add is the uh, upcoming Mini Source Summit in Ashland, Kentucky on March 7th and 8th. You want to tell them what we're going to be doing, Neil? Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to this event, man. It's first first time that we'll be actually doing a live podcast and we'll be in Ashland on March the 7th doing that at SOAR's event. SOAR, uh, one of our sponsors, like to give them a shout out as often as we can. And uh, looking forward to, to being there during that event and hosting a live podcast. Who knows what might happen? I <laughs> know. It's, it's pretty exciting. You know, the summit is based around tourism and downtown revitalization. And on the 7th, we have a couple of tourism experts from Eastern Kentucky to to be on the live episode. Yep. Don't forget, March the 7th at 1 p.m. Check us out live. Live on Facebook. Check out Appalachia Meets World Facebook page and you'll see us live streaming from Zoom. Follow our page and it should pop up on your feed. So, you know, I saw lots of great businesses uh, in my travels over the last couple of weekends. But what what do you have some something for us tonight on our at biz of the week? 
I do. As you were traveling through the Great Smoky Mountains, I actually took a little trip down to Huntington, West Virginia. Nice. Uh, have you been to Huntington? Yes, I have. Huntington's a cool little city. They got a lot going on there on the river, Marshall University. Yep. A lot of things happening over there. That's where Coalfield Development is. We interviewed right. them not too long ago, but there's a little place over there. It's right on Route 2. Started back in 1999 by some kind folks named Sonny and Cher, but it's called Hillbilly Hot Dogs. And it is the greatest place on earth. Well, <laughs> maybe not the greatest place on earth, but it's pretty cool. That's high praise. <laughs> it's pretty cool, man. So what's it like? Tell me about it. So you drive by it and it looks like these old hippie slash hillbilly slash abandoned buses made into like a restaurant. They're all painted, all decked out and all this different stuff. And they just, uh, it's all, obviously it's a focus on hot dogs. They have things on the menu like the Thundering Herd Dog, which is after Marshall. They have the Pine Appalachian Dog, the Coal Miner, the Mothman Dog. Oh yeah. Strictly Business Dog. Nice. So, I mean, it's an impressive place. I think they've been on diners, drive-ins and dives. It's a cool spot. They also have a newly established Hillbilly Hot Dogs Wedding Chapel. So you can go over there and get married in a little <laughs> chapel they have set up on the hillside there. Get a dog and get your ring on. I like <laughs> it. Definitely. Uh, you can check out their website. It's hillbillyhotdogs.com. They have pictures. They have pictures of the wedding chapel. They have the full menu. It's, it's pretty daggone cool. Um, sounds, sounds like it, man. It got me hungry. I'm about to drive over to Huntington and get me a little cheese dog or something. I don't know. I, I'd go with the Mothman dog. <laughs> they have other. They have burgers. They have sandwiches. Got some shakes over there. Obviously, the focus is on the dogs. But, yeah, I just wanted to mention this place. It's another one of those hidden gems along, uh, you know, the back roads of Appalachia. Been open but, for 20 years now. It has. Maybe we can have them on the show sometimes as, as a set of entrepreneurs that have lasted throughout the years. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Let me just say, anybody that's been in the food business for 20 plus years, they survivor, they right? I praise. Yep. Tough people right there. Not actually not too far. I also passed and went by the Mothman Museum. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So go check them out. Hillbilly Hot Dogs. Over there near Huntington, West Virginia. If you're ever over that way, look them up online, hillbillyhotdogs.com, and go have a tasty eat. You know what else is that I think about when I think about Huntington is just all the great landscape views you, you can get when driving into that area. No matter which direction you're coming from, there's some great scenery over there in that neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. They got some really cool things going on over there. I'd like to talk about that on future episodes too. But yeah, talking about the views, you can take photographs from anywhere of the landscape. If I knew somebody that did some landscape photography, I would definitely tell them to get some shots over in, uh, over in that area of the country. This is a great segue to the guy that we're having on tonight <laughs> Definitely. to talk Just, about his landscapes and all the work he's doing with nfts yeah it just so happens that david johnston 
pretty prolific landscape photographer is going to be on the show tonight to talk about his work but more importantly kind of have a follow-up episode to the nft uh, work that he does he has created a set of photography that he's been working on over the last 10 11 years it's called with love from appalachia like i said it's 10 11 years worth of photos in the great appalachian mountains that's something i assume he's going to be talking about as we interview him and David has figured out a way to turn those in to NFTs. And I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, like I said, like we said on the last episode, you, you know, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around digital NFTs. But what he's doing is true art. I mean, true photography. He, he's a pretty, like I said, a pretty prolific landscape photographer. And he's turning art into NFTs. And I can't think of a better place to do it than in Appalachia. The Absolutely. Man- the man had a vision, and uh, I can't wait to uh, look into some more of his art, and also just to talk to him, just to interview him, and and get you know kind of what he looks for when he's when he's out there on the road. So let's get him on. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Let's do it. Hey, Will, I did want to ask you a question tonight. Are you in the market to buy a new home or refinance your current home? I am huh? not. You are not. Well, lots of people are right now in the real estate game. And Dave Godsey at Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation may be able to help you. Dave offers a variety of different loan programs. Call him today at 606-344-8734 and find out what mortgage options may be available to you. Perfect. Check out Dave. You got his name, got his number. Thanks to Dave at Fairway Independent Mortgage Corp for uh, being a sponsor of Appalachia Meets World. tonight's episode we have david johnston he is a landscape photographer and has started a few podcasts in regards to photography the latest one he started in 2019 is called the landscape photography show an excellent podcast in regards to photography if you want to check that out we'll talk about it later on in the show but he also has a youtube channel you can check that out as well. He started photography in 2004 with a course in high school, film photography course, and we can talk about that as well. But I also wanted to mention that him and his wife in 2017 moved to Haiti to become missionaries. And in 2019, they moved back to the great state, or as he would describe it, the great state of Tennessee, which is his home state. We wanted to have him on the episode, especially because he has an NFT collection. It's called With Love from Appalachia, which we'll get into. But we wanted to welcome David to the show and say thank you for the time and we appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to put faces, names and talk to other podcasters and, and people in the industry. So thank you so much for the time. This is a question we ask all our guests just to give you a little little bit of background. As most Appalachians are big on tradition, Neil and I's families, we're big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have are appetizers at the holidays. We ha- usually have a huge spread of appetizers, usually bigger than the actual meal. So we fill up on appetizers first. So we wanted to ask you, what's your favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? This is 
a painful one for me because so it is, you know, like one of those big cheese balls that people put out with crackers. Oh yeah. And I love those things. But after spending my time in Haiti, there's no dairy down there because there's no refrigeration. So I spent two years in Haiti, came back, was lactose intolerant because I couldn't (laughs) handle the dairy anymore. So Uh, now I can't eat those. So I have to make everything dairy free. So I guess now probably my favorite holiday dish would just be your classic mashed potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't go, can't go wrong there. Do you can't uh, go wrong when you're mixing up your mashed potatoes? Do you put butter, sour cream or milk in them or all of the above? Okay. So I have to put plant-based butter, oat milk and non-dairy sour cream, but I'm so used to it now. Like I couldn't tell you what real mashed potatoes taste like anymore. <laughs> that's, that's a great yeah, answer. Miserable. <laughs> yeah i mean it's rough for sure but like i said i don't know what they really taste like anymore so i like my version too yeah wow. i could not have survived without dairy for two years seriously <laughs> it's it's not easy pizza is the hardest thing you're a true missionary if you move and give, up, <laughs> give up cheese balls that's right forever that's right <laughs> kind of to that point, can you briefly talk about your background? What I know I mentioned, you know, the photography course, but what got you into photography? Where has it led you? I know you've been doing it for a number of years now. And if you want to talk about that missionary trip as well, just give a little bit about, about your background and, and what you've been doing. Yeah, I got started with that film course in high school. And it was really funny because I only took the course because I found a loophole in our course listings that said if you took an extra elective you could get out of a geography course in high school so I took film photography to manage that loophole it it came back to bite me though because I majored in geography in college and graduated (laughs) with a degree in that and then gave that up and went back to photography so it's been kind of this roundabout way of of coming to photography and I did it for a while and and I really went hard with it for several years I worked with it on the side for about six years while I worked a full-time day job and I would do it on nights and weekends, just try to get out whenever I could and shoot and learn as much as possible. And then it really led to a big burnout while I was in Haiti. And, and while we lived there as, as missionaries, you know, I didn't really touch the camera very much and wasn't really too interested, which I, I wish wasn't the case because I don't have a lot of the documentation that I probably would have if I did have my camera with me, but we had a great time down there, lived in two different places in Haiti. And my wife is a nurse midwife and a doctor of women's health. She's a women's health nurse practitioner. She did some women's clinics down there. She had a small birth center where people would come to give birth. And I was the de facto ambulance driver. So when the women would be in birth or taking them back home, we'd load them up in the car and drive them down the road or they just walk home. I mean, it's, it's crazy how the culture is so different. You, you hear people, you know, sore for so many days. I'm sure they are, but they would just like give birth, get up and just walk home like miles down the road. And you're just like, what on earth? Where do I live right now? Wow. So we did that for two hey, years. You really missed an opportunity there, David. You, What's that? You so could have been the photographer that came in the room. I, I could. <laughs> yeah, I did. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's, um, 
I'm not like the medical person though. So anytime, like I see anything like that, I'm just like, I'm happy driving the car, but I don't want to see anything like that. So we came back in, in 2019 and felt like our time there was done. And I picked the camera back up, got back into podcasting, uh, started doing the YouTube videos. I think that's, that's really what led to my new balanced approach to, to landscape photography and just not just doing it for a business, but also enjoying the fun of it. Cause that's why I loved it in the first place was just going out to all these beautiful locations, you know, that you guys have in Kentucky and, and that I have in Tennessee. And it's just amazing to be out there and, and witnessing everything. Cause the best part about it is if you're waiting on a amazing sunset, you set up the shot and then you just sit there for a couple hours and just watch it unfold. And you're in nature and and you're in a place that you love and that has deep roots to you. So it, it's always been a huge love for me and a big passion as well. And that's my crazy wild story of, of where I am now. Really, like I mentioned before, the main reason we wanted to have you on the show was with, for your NFT collection with love from Appalachia, which we are going to get into for sure. But one thing I wanted to ask you was just about your podcast. It's really informational in regards to photography, but you, you interview so many uh, photographers and whether it be landscape or other forms. Can you just talk about, just let the listeners know about your podcast and where they can find it if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's called The Landscape Photography Show. Uh, it's on iTunes and Spotify and kind of everywhere you can listen to your podcast, Google Podcasts, things like that. And you can stream it on my website too at davidjohnstonart.com. It's so cool to talk with other photographers. And I, I had a previous podcast before I moved to Haiti that was a lot about the technical side of it and gear related questions. And I wanted to do something completely different with this one, getting to know people's backgrounds and what led them into photography in the first place is kind of the driving force behind it. We all have certain experiences that that shape who we are and how we see the world. And I remember one of the first interviews with a, a well-known photographer, her name is Erin Babnick. She had just gone through the California wildfires that swept through Paradise, California, and her home was one of the ones that got destroyed. And we had a lengthy conversation about how that traumatic experience shaped who she now is as a photographer, being more minimalistic in both material goods and approach to photography. That interview really shaped how I wanted the podcast to be, not just focused on, you know, people's traumatic experiences. I don't want to be, I'm not a counselor or anything, just how our experiences in the world can shape how we see it, both good and bad and really paying homage to people's stories and and who they are and and how they photograph. Because we all have a different style of shooting that's completely different and both beautiful at the same time. And we can all respect and appreciate the way that we approach landscape photography and again, how we see the world and, and our views on it. How did you go about choosing landscape photography over other styles? Neil and I obviously aren't photography geeks or <laughs> no, know, we are geeks. We're, we're definitely we don't, <laughs> we don't know a whole, a whole lot, but how do you, how do you go into choosing landscape photography or other kinds, other forms of photography? I, I tried all different kinds, um, portrait, 
you know, family photography, weddings, different things like that. And it just, honestly, everything outside of landscapes and nature, I absolutely hated. The wedding was awful. Doing the family portraits while it was fun photographing my friends, I was just like, man, this is miserable. I can still remember the first shot that I took in landscape and it was i just had a basic like point and shoot camera it was back in 2008 i was hiking in australia and i found this tree and i was like man this is a really cool tree i wonder what it would look like if i shot it this way and before i knew it i was spending like 30 minutes photographing this one tree that experience was really eye-opening to me just seeing different ways i can approach a single subject and like I said, that's really, really geeky, but that's like what I love. And that's, I, I eat that stuff up all the time. So if I'm going out with a plan of going to like a certain waterfall, I might not even make it to that waterfall. Cause I'm just so focused in on anything in nature that catches my eye. That makes me say, wow, that's interesting. As one of my friends puts it, you know, I photograph everything that doesn't move except for waterfalls. <laughs> so people, people in sports and weddings are just kind of out, out of it. Yeah. And I, I meant geek in the best way possible. You know, I take it as the best way possible. Yeah. Neil and I geek out over, over things too, as well. <laughs> I mentioned before your collection with love from Appalachia. It's an amazing, I'll go ahead and give you props right now. It's an amazing collection. And if, if you go to your website, you know, you can read about it a little bit, but it's a collection of photography that you created over a span of 11 years, mm -hmm. just traveling throughout, you, you call it all the hills and valleys of the Appalachian mountains. But before we kind of dive into that in the NFT space, can you talk a little bit about kind of what the Appalachian mountains mean to you, what they do for you, even on your website, you, you talk about, or you, you at least mentioned PTSD and how the mountains have helped you to overcome that. Can you just talk about the mountains a little bit and what they do for you and why you go back continuously to take more photographs? Yeah, they give me peace. They give me a sense of self and who I am. And they reveal things to me about myself. Like you said, I'm not shy about talking about you know, I had PTSD when I came back from Haiti, from things that I saw and experiences that I had there. And the mountains give me a safe space. There's a certain waterfall that I go to every single time. <clears throat> that was my safe space in counseling. And my counselor would always say, you know, if we were doing PTSD therapy, she would say, you know, go back to your safe space if you need to. And in my mind, I would go back to this waterfall every single time, just because it's one that I go to. It's right outside towns in Tennessee. If I go there right now, I can just sense like the mountain air, the cool wind off of the water. I always go to my favorite coffee shop in Townsend right before I go there so I can taste the coffee. And I can just remember every single time that I go out there, whether I have a camera with me or not, or if I'm just going. And their mountains have been really my safe space coming out of that experience and helped me get over the main issues that I had with PTSD. I remember coming back <clears throat> my first trip after coming back from Haiti, I was extremely anxious. Anytime I would go anywhere, I would have panic attacks and going out there. I almost didn't go, but when I was finally out there, it was so calming and, and peaceful for me that I was glad I did. And it just became that respite point for me. And I think that 
even spending time out there and experiencing it in college when I was in Knoxville, it had that deep root for me of when I was becoming my own person, living on my own in college and coming into my own is, is who I am. I think the, that region has so much attachment to me in that way. That's great. I, I wanted to ask that because Neil and I have so many guests on that talk about what Neil and I describe as the magic of the Appalachian Mountains. It, there's something about the mountains that all you dr- always draw you in or draw you back. Yeah, abs- and that's so true. Anytime you go, I feel like they're so... It's one of the most visited national parks in the United States, right? Because it's free to get in. It's so big. You can go on so many good hikes. But there's so much to it that's still unexplored. There's so many spots that I would still love to go to and, and hike to and or hikes that I've already been on, locations I've already been to that I would love to go back. I think that's the beauty of it. If I think about, going, I just got back from Death Valley, California. Okay, I've seen Death Valley. Like There are a couple caves I'd love to get back into, but really I've seen it but the Appalachians are not that way for me. Like I always want to go back. I always try to make that yearly trip out there and dive deep into the landscape and what I can find. You know, you mentioned PTSD or or the the isolation of photography in general, just how how mentally taxing or how self-isolating is landscape photography? For me and, and this is what a lot of my friends in, in the industry too feel is that it can be extremely mentally taxing if you allow it to. I can share, you know, my most taxing story that I remember I was alone in Joshua Tree. I was staying in a in an Airbnb trailer on the outside of the park just so I could have service to call my wife like in the evenings or in the mornings before I went out. And I was alone out there for three days, which isn't really that long if you're a landscape photographer, but just the isolation itself. I'd never been there before. Uh, I don't go out West that much. So I was trying to just maximize every single part of the trip. And I put in a 20 hour day, one day, just in complete solitude, trying to get it to all these different locations and these different shots, stuff like that is extremely taxing, especially when you're in a place like Joshua tree in September and it's 104 degrees (laughs) during the day and you have very little water that's really taxing. But then again, my most recent trip to death Valley, I was out there for just two days there was a conference going on that a lot of my friends were teaching at. So I hung out with them when I wasn't shooting and that wasn't taxing at all. That was a great breath of fresh air from the gray, rainy Tennessee winter and, (laughs) you know, in 70 degrees. So it can go one or the other way. I think if you let it be taxing and you put too much on yourself, it can be extremely taxing. But if you go into it, remembering kind of why you enjoy it so much, it's much less stressful and less mentally taxing. Like I mentioned with love from Appalachia, your your collection, amazing collection for anybody interested in photography or interested in any of your photographs. Can you just talk a little bit about that collection? If you want to talk about what NFTs are or why you have moved that collection into the NFT space and how, how that kind of came about. I've never really categorized my photos into a single collection. And when I started doing NFTs, especially when 
when I got into it, it was a lot of, you know, just one-to-one art, which means it's the only one that stands on its own. So it's just, here's the photo. If you want to buy it, great. But here it is, it's available. A collection is something completely different. Like in the With Love collection, there's 50 photos together that show an entire region. I've never curated a collection in that way of having similar images side by side of a single region or, you know, there are multiple subjects within that collection. But I think the region is why I decided to curate it in that way and create the collection in that way too, because it's it's the area that I go to most and it's the area that I love most. You know, we've talked about that, how it has deep roots for me. And the collection is just 50 photos in four categories of, you know, forest, waterfalls, grand landscapes, and abstracts, all from the region of Appalachia. So for me, designing that was kind of like a love letter back to what it's given to me, writing out in in my way of creativity, of photography, of, you know, putting together this love letter back to everything that it's given to me. And it's my way of giving back. And and one of the things that I enjoy about it is I give 15% of anything that I make off of that back to charities that are active in the region. So I've been able to support the Appalachia Service Project, who goes in and helps families in need that live in the region and just works on their houses and gives them food and provides them with whatever they need. And I think that's been the most fun part for me about it. Do you have a favorite landscape that you've taken a photo of? Uh, Just a curiosity question, just thinking about all the wonderful places throughout Appalachia that you could dive into. But for a guy that's really versed in photography, do you have a favorite place? Do you want it like anywhere that I've been? Let's say anywhere and then also in Appalachia. Okay. Ooh, that's a tough one. Okay. Favorite place anywhere is probably in Zanshan's Netherlands. I was photographing. I'm look, I have the print on my wall. I'm looking at it right now. It's a uh, like series of windmills and it's not really, it's kind of landscape, but it's still in the city of Amsterdam, like right on that Northern edge, but there's a big river canal that runs through them. And uh, there's all these like river grasses and stuff. And then there's windmills that go all the way down the edge of the river. And that's probably one of the coolest experiences that I've had. It's probably not the most like breathtaking shot that I've ever had, but it was fun because I was on that trip with my wife. We were going through European countries that we had had on our list that we wanted to visit. And we just sat there and, and watched the sunset and it was an amazing scene, like it, unlike anything that we have in our culture, it's so old too. It's, it's fun being in Europe and photographing like really, really old scenes. I find that really interesting. So there's outside of the region. Let's go inside. I would say the Tremont area as a whole is probably my favorite to photograph because I'm a waterfall junkie. They have some of the most pristine smaller waterfalls in the Smokies. It's not going to be like Ramsey Cascades where you're going to get a 100 foot drop of water, but you're going to get, you know, 20 to 30 small waterfalls that you can just really wade up through 
the mountain stream that goes up through that area and you can photograph so many in one day. I was mentioning my safe place that that's where that is. And that's where I always go back to. So that has a really special place in my heart. And then, you know, places like Newfound Gap, Clingman's Dome, the typical spots. You know, I always try to get to those two really, really fun to go. Clingman's Dome is insane because the weather is completely different every single time I go. I've been in early June when it should be really hot and I've been freezing and it's, you know, 50 mile an hour winds and crazy clouds going all over the place. And I've been in March when it should be cold and it's really pleasant and calm. So you never really know what you're going to get up there. It's very cool. And you can find a lot of those in your, in your collection. Uh Yeah. I wanted to ask you, get back into the NFTs. Okay. There's this craze of NFTs, you know, you have the weird monkeys and, and, and all this stuff. And, and I, to me, it's hard for me to wrap my head around NFTs that are monkeys or NFTs that are a clip of, of someone dunking a basketball, but I can get into photography and skilled art being an NFT. If you, if you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I wonder what led you into the NFT space and how hard was it for you to, I guess, learn about it and move your photography into actual NFTs? So I I first learned about it because some of my friends and photography started posting about it a little bit and whether they were in favor or not in favor of doing it, depending on what argument you want to take or what side you have. And I was like, what on earth are they talking about? Like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. And then I've listened to guys' podcasts like Gary V, and he started talking about him some. And I was just like, this is crazy. I have to go look at this for myself. So I started looking at it a little bit and getting more involved on Twitter. And I started to see, like you said, a lot of the, the Bored Ape collection and crypto punks and things like that and i was like this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen why are people spending 100k on one of these but i like you i could see the art side of it and i started posting some of mine i got involved in some of the spaces that are in twitter which are like live chat rooms that you can be involved in and Things really started to snowball pretty quick. I made a lot of sales on some of my foundation pieces, which is a platform for selling photography and art. And I got really involved in kind of how they work. And and once I made some sales, I was like, this could be a really good long-term potential. And I started discovering more about them and started appreciating those collections more, like you mentioned, the Bored Apes. And I think coming into it, you can look at it from afar and say, why would somebody want to pay? You know, I think that the highest grossing NFT, we can go with that, is a CryptoPunk that recently sold for like $7.6 million, which is outlandish. But they're a key to something greater. It's not just the jpeg that you buy it's a key to a community it's a key to benefits that you get along with it and it's kind of like your ticket into whether you want to use it for parties or getting you know nba finals tickets raffled to you or things like that i think they're they're really a key to something greater and with a photography collection what's starting to become apparent is you can use these as that key 
to a greater adventure, to show somebody what is important to you with photography, like the With Love collection, or I've even seen other photographers use it as anyone who collects something from this collection, you know, I'll pay for your camping trip out to where it was photographed, different things like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity and upside to them. Would I ever pay $200,000 for a JPEG of a monkey? No, but I think there's a lot of potential to them and it's art driven, which is something we haven't seen in a long time. You know, I started photography with social media and Instagram, and that is not, it's likes driven. It's attention driven. Whereas this NFT platform instead is artist driven. It's people actually respecting what you do for a fair wage and respecting how much work you put into it and respecting who you are as a person behind the work. And that's what has really grabbed my attention in, in the space and why I've stayed in it. Like I said, it's easier for me to wrap my head around the true art that is behind NFTs, mm -hmm. um, not to take anything away from the crypto apes or, or <laughs> <laughs> whatever they're called. But, you know, as I've learned more, I've, I've truly have begun to appreciate NFTs, whatever JPEG they, they may be, whatever source they may be from. But I'm glad you mentioned the word community, which is really an important aspect of this NFT space. I recently saw some NFTs that were being produced. They're called party horses. And as part of this community, uh, of course, I'll mention them because of Kentucky, but these party horses will get you into different Kentucky Derby parties. And it's really this community around the Kentucky Derby, around bourbon, around the Kentucky experience. So there's a lot more to it than just buying a JPEG or, or looking buying an NFT. And like your case, I know you offer a few more things if you purchase so many of your NFT art pieces. You want to explain that a little bit? Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, I think one of the coolest things is like kind of making little games out of it. So I know if like I have four categories in the With Love from Appalachia collection, if you collect all one piece from each category, I create like a personal NFT for you that's added to the collection that I just airdrop to you. And airdropping means I basically just send it to you for free and you can do whatever you want with it. You can keep it, you can resell it. And that's just kind of like a way that, that I've made a game out of it. Or I'll send you a print of one of the images that you've collected. And I think doing it that way is just a really fun way to kind of interact with people. I have another collection coming out called Elements of Earth that I'm releasing pretty soon. And with that one, the way I've kind of played a game with it is as a collector, you get a vote in future locations that I go to photograph to add to the collection. So you kind of have a say in the direction that it goes and every photograph that's included in the collection is taken in real time like they've never been photographed before. And I share little video clips of where I am and what I'm doing with it. So it kind of, it's like I said, it, it, they're a key and that's a key to, to this ongoing adventure that you can come with me on. I think that's a fun way of doing it because that helps that community aspect grow and everybody sharing that experience together. It's very stressful for me because that puts a lot of stress on me to get the right photos when I'm out in the field, which doesn't always happen, but trying to make the best of it. 
Yeah, that's that's very cool. Beyond the art itself, there's a lot of creativity involved in forming these communities and ideas behind the marketplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it helps too, because like everybody talks back and forth, or I'm in several group chats that talk back and forth and share ideas and gives each other feedback on ideas. And I've had a lot of really bad ideas. Luckily, I've put the few good ideas out there into my collections. Very cool. People can find your collection on Open Seas. Is that uh-huh. correct? Yes. Is yes. it just you're you're just on Open Seas? It would probably be easiest to search like with love from Appalachia and Elements of Earth by David Johnston, and that would probably put you in the right place. Okay. If it is Open Seas, then the buyer or the the person that's looking has to have Ethereum in order to purchase. Is that correct? Yes, we could get really nerdy with that, but basically, yes. Yeah, the NFT space, it's so large. But like you said before, there's so much more for you. Yes, the collection is about that piece of art that you made, but there's so much more in regards to community, in regards to a lot of the other things that NFTs will provide, whether it be Ethereum, the Bitcoin space, but also cryptocurrency and how how that's going to be in regards to the future. But what do you see as the future of NFTs? Do you see them transforming in any way? I think I can speak on it like in terms of photography and not really like the profile picture collections that come out because that stuff is still way over my head, even though I have a few and, and have collected a few of them. But in terms of photography, I think that we're probably going to see fewer people stay in it because it seems like things are starting to turn a little bit downwards in not only the value of cryptocurrency in the the short term, but also I've been seeing a lot of photographers that have been going really hard at it and they're starting to burn out and they're like, look, I can't stay on Twitter 24 seven. This is exhausting. And I think people are going to start to get a little bit more balance. And in the latter part of 20. 21 things were insane people were selling out collections within seconds of them releasing you know that clip wasn't going to hold up you you could easily look at it and be like there's no way that there are this many buyers that are going to continue to buy this this is not going to withstand the the test of time so i think people who had that really fast early success will start to drop out i think you're going to start to see people get more creative about what's included with a single image that they sell or get more creative about a whole collection, an ongoing collection, doing something differently with pricing. I've seen a lot of people talk about doing auctions instead of setting a price and letting the market decide what it's worth. Like a, like a key to different events or collaborations. I've often thrown out the idea. Maybe I'm just like, don't have enough time to do it, but I've had the the idea of doing like a uh, time-lapse collection and collaborating with an, a music artist in the NFT space. And you split the profits of that and just put the music to each time-lapse piece. And if it sells, you split it 50-50. So there are a lot of different things you can do within NFTs. And I think you're going to see a lot more collaborations and creativity that goes into creating the collections as well. You know, art in and of itself is it's so subjective, <clears throat> but building this community and finding things behind the art, I think is an important part of 
the NFT space. You know, I, I collected <laughs> baseball cards growing up and it's not too far removed. It's what people will pay for what you have, you know, or, or how original or how unique what you have is, I guess. That's so true. And <clears throat> what's cool about like base, I did the same thing. I collected baseball cards and stuff like that. I, I mean, I'll even admit I was a big nerd. I collected Pokemon cards and did that <laughs> whole thing. And what's cool is like, they're so similar in that. Yeah. They're collectibles kind of on steroids pretty much. Well, baseball cards are those players were on steroids, but that's a different story, <laughs> but they had their stats listed for every single year. Right. And you could go by, you know, what year the card came out and what stats were related to each card. You can do the exact same thing with NFTs. You can include properties within, within an NFT and set it up that way. Kind of like you would have baseball stats on the back of a card. So it, there are so many different ways of doing it. And I think it's it's just fun because like you said, with baseball cards, it kind of gives you this feeling of like you were when you were a kid and you were opening up a pack of cards and you didn't know what was inside. And, you know, were you going to get a Ken Griffey Jr. or were you going to get like a Jose Canseco? You didn't really know what was inside <laughs> or, or, you know, how much they were going to be worth, even though the majority of cards, like they were complete trash inside. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, in the beginning, I was just getting them for the bubble gum, and then that's it, man. Yeah, and it, putting it, them in like the spokes of your bike wheels to yeah, make it right. sound like a motorcycle. I've been curious around the whole NFT space. It seems like they really took off or blew up. Maybe I don't know enough about the the space, but it seems like when Gary V started <laughs> tweeting and started talking about them so much that they really blew up. Had he never done that, would NFTs be what they are today? <laughs> I don't know if that's a question you can answer, but. <laughs> Probably not. But I do think that things were starting to go in that direction. Did he bring a vast amount of people into the space? Absolutely. It's like Warren Buffett talking about the stock market. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> have a lot of people come in and made some bad purchases and gotten scammed because they didn't do the appropriate things that you need to do with like a crypto wallet when you come in or absolutely. So I think when you get those waves of people coming in, it's great because a lot of people are interested in it. It brings in, uh, I hate to make it about money, but it does bring in a lot more buyers and as an artist who sells art, like I need new buyers. So it did bring in a, a wave of that and it's always going to. But I think if you are going to get into them, you have to do, and, and Gary V talks about this too, you have to do a lot of due diligence and what do you need to keep yourself safe? Because it's the wild west, there's no regulation. People can scam you and create a link that takes all the money in your crypto wallet and steals all your NFTs and there's nothing you can do about it. There's a lot you have to to have to know and research going into it and know kind of where to find the right links per se that that and who to trust really. I mean, there's there's so many people out there saying they know everything there is to know about it and they don't. So he, he, he does bring a lot of people in, but he also, on the other hand, and other people in this space are very good about this too, saying, be cautious, know what you're getting into, know where you're putting your money, do the research on what to buy and who to support. Yeah. So I don't think it would be where it is now, but 
I'm definitely appreciative of it. I mean, he brought yeah. a lot of people in. I think that's very well said. And I'm glad you mentioned the learning piece, which I've heard even Neil and I trying to learn as much as possible. We've heard over and over repetitively from people that are in the space, learn as much as possible before you dive in, because there is that possibility of scamming or, or other consequences. If you don't, if something feels a little bit off, it probably is. And you just have to trust your gut on that. Yeah. Like you said, it's the wild, wild west. And I'm sure like everything in this country, eventually it gets regulated. But until, it will. Then, it until will. then, it's the wild, wild west. Definitely some opportunities, some positive perks in regards to this space. And that's why we wanted to have you on here to talk about not only the NFT space and how new it is and how refreshing your art is to that space, but also about your with love from Appalachia collection and how definitely people should check it out. People from this podcast, whether you're inside the Appalachian region or outside the Appalachian region, you have some amazing photographs on there and people should be, if they are interested, check it out, look at it. You will be interested after doing so. I guarantee it. I wanted to ask you, you can give a quick answer. What do you think about iPhones? iPhones, like for photography? <laughs> yeah. Man, they're in, like, I have the iPhone 13, like the little mini one. Yeah. And now, like, I used for my YouTube stuff, I used to take an entire, like, you can see on my shelf back here, I have like all these cameras lined up. I used to take like three or four cameras out with me every time I went. Now I literally just take my iPhone with me and film everything on this because it's it produces just as good stuff. The video, yeah, is amazing on the 13. They're insane, man. Look, if somebody wants to go out and capture it in an iPhone, you're probably going to get a really good photograph. And I have no problem with that at all. <laughs> I'm just really nerdy and I love controlling everything with my camera and stuff like that. So one of the questions that we ask everyone, what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say this word? You can just roll it off the tip of your tongue. But when I say the word Appalachia home, that's perfect. That's perfect. We have so many people that say, say home or, or mountains, but yeah, <laughs> home. Yeah. That's a really good answer. And where do you call home and what makes it home for you? What makes it unique to you? Man, I've moved so much. I've lived in two other countries besides the United States. Really home for me is just like anywhere I can hang out with my wife and daughter. That's really all I need. I don't need a ton of stuff like all this camera equipment that you see behind me. You know, it's not essential. I have too much of it. Really just give me like a, a camera, a roof over my head and my family. And I'm, I'm pretty much home. I've lived in a 2000 square foot house and I've lived in a 160 square foot tiny house. So I'm like, I've lived in Haiti. I've lived in Australia. So I don't know. I've, I've moved around so much. One location doesn't really feel like home to me. It's, it's who I'm with. Yeah. That's a, that's a great answer. I was surprised that you didn't say Saturdays in Knoxville at, at <laughs> Neyland stadium, but uh, uh, a, a, a 100,000 family is a little bit too much for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's 99,000 99, too much. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for, for being on our, episode this is this has been great especially diving in a little more in regards to nfts with your with love from appalachia collection we wanted everyone on the on the show to know about it to check it out and to definitely uh check you out 
Yeah. Thank you so much, man. I, re I really appreciate y'all having me on and featuring me. That's extremely humbling. When I started, I'd, I'd never thought I'd have people contacting me to do that, but that's awesome. I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the kind words too. Well, man, again, NFTs for newbies has kind of put me in the mode of NFTs, but there can't be a better place to do what Dave Johnston is doing with his NFTs, man. Landscape photography in Appalachia. I can't think of a more beautiful place, a more beautiful setting. And this man has discovered lots of places that I've never even heard of. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to him tonight. Check him out. He's got some amazing photography on with love from Appalachia series uh, over on open seas you can check it out check out all his nfts that he has minted you can purchase through that website you can also check him out on his website davidjohnstonart.com i'm glad you brought that up because i did want to mention that website it's davidjohnstonart.com you can see everything you need to see on there Check that out. You can even check out his podcast, Landscape Photography, especially if you're into photography. It's an excellent resource for landscape photography and photographers in general. Man, artists are so interesting. Every time I talk to an artist, there's a local artist here that I talk to a lot, and, and she's just so full of knowledge on lots of different things. And, and I feel like David definitely fits that mold as well. So I really enjoyed uh, getting to know him and learning more about what he's doing. I did. It's that creative mindset, I guess. It was definitely very interesting to, to chat with David and hear about not only his work, not only his NFTs, but just his experiences that kind of led him up to landscape photography and beyond. I know. What an interesting guy. He's definitely uh, living, living a great life with purpose and focus, and I really appreciate him. You know, I said he's probably really smart because he's an artist, but, you know, our listeners can't see uh, what we're wearing on these episodes, but I knew David couldn't be real smart because he had on a Tennessee orange hat. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> Got to give him a hard time for that. Yeah, that was an excellent episode to, to kind of a follow up to the NFTs just to see how somebody does it and what they do with it. But I wanted to ask you tonight if you had anything of place in regards to the of place section. Man, you know, last time we had an NFT episode, things kind of hit home for me. I still haven't received my Jerry Rice card in the mail yet, but <laughs> since I shared and nothing happened, maybe I'll let you share it tonight. You can give us a of place segment if you got something. Man, I don't have anything much to be honest with you, but as we were talking to David and as he was talking about photography, it made me think of not, not too long ago, our mom was putting together kind of this archive of, of her life. And, and as part of that, she was putting together a lot of photos and she sent me those photos. It just had all these memories of her childhood all the way up to her as an adult. And, you know, the backgrounds and all those were parts of Appalachia, some parts that I'd never seen, some parts of Virginia, some parts of Kentucky some parts of Tennessee, the hills and the hollers of where she grew up and where she's from and where she is now. It just got me thinking, especially when David was talking of how, how beautiful the mountains are and how, how lucky we should be to live in a place like Appalachia, to have those mountains as our backdrop, all those nooks and crannies, those hills and hollers, the beauty that they possess and the, and the beauty that we live in. We should definitely cherish what we have 
build on our assets and understand that not everybody in this world has the beauty that that we have from New York to Mississippi. You know, we talked about the Smoky Mountains being the number one visited park, but all of the Appalachian Mountains are are beautiful and amazing landscapes. As the pictures that mom sent told her story, the background images of the mountains tell their own story. The Appalachian Mountains are a story in and of itself. I just wanted to point that out and say, you know, we live in a special place and those mountains kind of represent who we are, what we are, where we're from. Like I said, they tell their own story and they are their own place. And and I just wanted to point that out and say we should definitely cherish and appreciate what we have. Man, that's awesome. I, I told you on our episode a couple of weeks ago, I knew our mom would be trading NFT soon. And all she was doing in that was giving you a gift, my friend, of an <laughs> opportunity to create some NFTs. She might have been creating she, she NFTs. Is, she is a forward thinker, my man. Yes. I like where your head's at. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we should turn them into NFTs. Let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's all about being doers. We talk about it all the time in, in Eastern Kentucky. Speaking of doers, I wanted to mention again the SOAR Summit that's taking place in Ashland. I know we mentioned at the beginning of the show, but we want to mention it again to all our listeners to just keep in mind March 7th and March 8th. On March 7th, we're going to have a live episode, our very first live episode from the SOAR Summit at 1 o'clock. We'll be hosting a couple of tourism experts in the region to talk about their work and to promote the area a little bit. Also on March 8th, we'll be going live as well with a special guest. You don't want to miss this. On March the 8th at 1 o'clock from the SOAR Summit, we're going to have a special guest, remote guest. Definitely don't want to miss it. Who's it going to be, Will? Quit teasing us. Well, it is a little tease, but because the summit has to do with tourism, but also downtown revitalization, if you ever watched a a revitalization show on Hulu, then you have seen this guest, and you definitely want to check it out. March 8th, 1 o'clock, live on Facebook. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, my friend. After we got that out of the way, we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. Songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.